Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I write an automotive column for Bay Area News Group, and I publish and edit the website, theweeklydriver.com. Today we have on an interesting guest who's developed quite a business for himself. Uh, His name is Russell Putnam. He's from Sacramento, and he's got these wonderful website names, um, uh, Fur Parts and Fur Insurance and a bunch of other projects he's got going on. For sure. For sure. With uh, Ferrari and other Italian manufacturers. He's just got a lot going on. So, Russell, welcome to our podcast. Um, Thanks for being available. Yes. No, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was it in a nutshell. Came from the real estate industry, uh, sold a hundred and something rentals a long time ago and always wanted a Ferrari. Yes. So I, uh, my business partner went into a, a recycler one day and saw this wrecked Ferrari 355. And at that time I'd sold a hundred rentals and had enough cash to go buy a new one. But there was something about my inner guyness to yes. save a buck and get one that was, uh, salvage that I could kind of fix and repair myself for, you know, a third of the money and have kind of a project, something to do and enjoy. And the disease and that grew it into just a a big company Uh, became one of the largest, if not the largest parts distributors in the world uh, for Ferrari, Lamborghini, uh, McLaren, Maserati, Bentley parts. Um, And the story is, uh, <laughs> yes, that's I don't amazing. Know how much time you have, but. Yeah, sure. But you started with the. Uh, I guess your your passion obviously was the Ferrari. Then you moved into the other Italians, and now you're saying uh, even McLaren and Bentley, huh? Yeah. So the deal was, I had a lot of free time. I'd sold all those properties. I was somewhat retired at the time. And when I bought that Ferrari, I needed parts for it. And I reached out to a gentleman that was a engineer for the city of Los Angeles that didn't love that job and was the original one of the original presidents of a ferrari club down there and used to broker parts he's more of a parts broker someone led me to him and said this is a guy that can find you the parts he's in the ferrari world so to speak and as a part and can probably help you find these parts you need to fix your crash ferrari which to this day has become a big business with the youtubers and all that and i can touch base on that i supply a lot of them with their cars but uh what happened was i he introduced me i met him and he goes, well, the parts you need for this Ferrari, I know where there's a wrecked one that crashed, and a gentleman in the Bay Area has the car to shop. Uh, he'd probably be willing to sell us that car for, you know, let's say 20 grand. I, I forget at the time how much it was, sure. but it was right around 20 grand. The parts I needed were right around 15 grand, and he said, you'll have a ton of parts left over. He goes, and I'm a broker. I'll sell those parts off for you. And you can make money on this car. And I just said, well, let's see how it goes. I mean, I need the parts anyway. So I went down there, I bought the car and I got the parts I needed to fix my Ferrari. Well, what happened was about a month later I went in and he goes, Hey, I sold this, this, and this part. And I kept my 25% off the top. Here's your check for the difference. And I got back a check, I think for like six grand at the time. And I was like, Whoa, like that's that was, great. This know, is fun. This is a good <laughs> hobby. Yeah, it's a good hobby. It's money making hobby. How yeah, nice. and I, I still wasn't sure. Right, I was still on the fence with it. And then, you know, another month goes by, and then I come back in. He's like, "Hey, here's another nine grand. I sold another fourteen grand. I kept my percent, whatever that may be." Um, you get the point. And then after you know six, seven months of that, and it wasn't overnight. I winded up having all my money back. I paid for my parts, and now I was making money on the car that we parted. And I'm like using that money to buy into the car I originally got. And I'm like, my goal was to get to zero on the car I purchased originally and have this car now for nothing. So it was, you know, like 
some people, I'm, I'm sort of a deal junkie. I love to do deals and try to win. And that's kind of how that happened. And then he goes, well, I know where there's another wrecked one. If you want to be an investor, you have this money and you can buy the, uh, the next car and we can, we can work that out. And we did and it worked. And then his relationships led to the factory, which was at the time Marinello concessionaire, which is Ferrari UK. Uh, now a Penske-owned company under their holding called Sittner, uh, was owned by Inscape, which is a heart manufacturer, or, or heart plant manufactured. They make defibrillators and all that yes. in the medical space. They owned it. And uh, their 10-year contract with Ferrari was coming up. And they said, we have all this inventory, and we don't know if Ferrari's going to resign the contract to let us use the name because it's not forever. It's not permanent. It's, it's on a, like a contract term. And we just want to dump all this inventory. So he said, hey, they got like $18 million of new Ferrari parts at the factory over there in sea freight containers. Uh, if you want to buy it, I think we can get it for like a million in cash. So I uh, flew over there with my business partner, and we bought that inventory. It was like uh, 20-something sea freight containers that we shipped over. It took a year to get them all over here, and we threw them in a warehouse um, and literally just stocked it. We was a diversify. Uh, in a nutshell, we were heavily invested in the hedge fund when we sold all the real estate. The hedge fund went belly up and we got burned. It was kind of like a feeder fund to Madoff. That's another story. And we had to go back <laughs> Sounds to work. like it, yeah. <clears throat> so we had to go back to work. And we went in and built a website and started selling off you know, inventory and then buying more cars. And now I think we've bought in over 300 Ferraris and Lamborghinis, McLarens, and we... Um, stocked them over here at a recycle yard we bought a few years back, and we inventory warehouse it and ship all over the world every day. Wow. Um, now, do you have your own employees that are, like, stripping parts, or do you have yes. them stripped? Or? So we have a 24,000-square-foot warehouse facility where we put all the inventory, and then we have a two-acre recycle yard down the street, um, a salvage, uh, you know, we're a licensed California sure. salvage and recycler, which is a very difficult permit to get. We had to buy an existing one. They just don't pass those out anymore. Um, with you know EPA and all that and restrictions. Sure, yeah. uh, let me let me take a step. Compliant. Let me take a step backwards, Russell. We've had guests on in the past, and I I, I wasn't raised in a family that my father was a guy who had cars, but he wasn't a mechanic. He didn't know how to repair them. And I've always been impressed with people who have had an older brother, a father, an uncle who's taught them uh, how to do cars. I mean, you have a Ferrari. It's not like you're you're fixing a Volkswagen bug, Ferrari is pretty complicated. How did, how did that come to pass that you knew how to do that? Well, by breaking them is how we learned how to put them back together. I see. Yeah, so fair enough. Stuff apart. <laughs> yes. Reverse engineering. And then we started a service business and hired a mechanic and turned it into just a, a big enterprise, I guess. Are you a club so racer? service them here as well. Are you a club racer or some kind of uh, weekend I'm racer not. at all? In my whole life, I wanted one, right? When I got sure. it, because I thought I was a, a car guy, and I am a car guy, but I'm really more of a, a, a business guy in the car world because I, I meet clients that I realize that's a true car person because they come in and tell me things about cars I don't even know, like you know, certain models they don't own, from horsepower to manufacturers, how many they made, what years they made on, like, true sure, car yeah. fanatics. So that right. part of it I, I love, but... Before our podcast, I was mentioning to Bruce that we have a mutual friend, and 
he was working in his garage and he needed something very simple and he couldn't find it at the regular hardware store. Let's just, I'm just going to make it up. It was something like a, a wooden screw from the 1950s. And he found an old store uh, somewhere in Sacramento and there was a guy in there who was 80 and he had everything. And, and my friend brought in this um, part that he needed replaced and he said, do you have one of these? And the guy just turned around and went to the exact drawer and it, I mean, the thing cost 50 cents, whatever it was. And so he was able to find this guy who found the exact thing that he needed. That transitions into, have you had people who have stumped you and said, I need a Ferrari part for some sort of Ferrari and it, it's it's problematic and you guys have to actually go find one or have you never been stumped? Or maybe you've been stumped many times. No, we've been stumped, but we learned from them and it's definitely, uh, I've been, you know, at this whatever, I don't Maybe it's 15 years now. Yes. So the lesson I have is like that of college. You know, it's almost impossible just to hire someone and know what it all is. But so long we can look at parts and we know what it is, where it goes on the car, what it goes to. Um, it, it's pretty sometimes, you know, other people are impressed, but it's become second nature after all these years. Gotcha. And uh, But it's very niche. We love it. Not a lot of competition in this space. Not a lot of Ferraris in Sacramento, but on a global scale, it's pretty massive. Is there a, um, a is there a very unique company a country? Pardon me, I said company, but country that someone's called you or contacted you from, I don't know, Ukraine or Estonia or someplace, and there's been a Ferrari that that uh, you've had a customer from a, a very unique place. Yes, we ship all over the world every day. A lot of the clients have turned into repeat customers uh, and friends. Uh, especially service shops that need us on a daily basis that are servicing clients' cars all around the world. So I feel like some of these have become they've become so good. If I fly to a certain country or I go to a certain state, I can call them and we'll do lunch or dinner, or they'll say, "Hey, you guys can stay at our house." Like it's uh, you know, 15 years of some of these guys daily and being on the phone every day for six, eight, ten years, and then never meeting them in person is uh, is certainly very fun when when you do. So sure. I've been traveling a lot more and. That part's brought in a lot of business. That does sound fun. Do you uh, have a lot of, uh, are they shops mostly or just independents, uh, you know, individuals with their car? Uh, most of my business is going to be shops. And then we have a handful of just customers that work on their own cars that don't want to go through shops, whether they're handy or they don't want the markup, right? They just think sure. they can get a better deal themselves and get it. Uh, they'll take it into a shop and some shops or like, hey, you know, we got to make a markup on the parts, obviously. It depends on the deal. And a lot of Ferrari dealers. So I would say every Ferrari dealer in the world or America, for sure, we sell to on a pretty consistent basis. Ferrari dealers don't stock parts, if you think about it. They really just do service and sell cars. They might have oil filters and belts, but they don't stock a lot of inventory. They're all uh, required to buy their parts through FNA, which is Ferrari North America. And if it's not available or in stock at Ferrari North America, uh, they're able to go wherever they can to source the part for the car they have or their client. If it's not available new, they can certainly go for used, or sometimes they give the customer the option. They're like, new, it's five grand. We know of a used one out there from a company in Sacramento for, for half the price of two grand. Uh, and most of these people, you know, they got wealthy not by being spenders. So a lot of the people that have the Ferraris, although I'd like to think most of them are pretty well to do, got that way by being savvy and sure. um, yeah. and tight with their money. So they all want to deal. So most of them really actually opt for use just because of uh, the savings. Yes. You know? 
Bruce, Bruce and I have been to, of, I'm sorry, go re- finish up, Russell. I beg your pardon. No, I just, so that's created just a massive market for breaking these. Now we've broken so many and we have so much inventory. It's become uh, very niche. I think I have $20 million of parts right now uh, in inventory on the shelf. Uh, to, to that say. sounds incredible. Don't tell us where the warehouse is, please. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's a secret. Yeah. Although it's on your you website. It doesn't have a horse or a Ferrari in the building. Mm-hmm. That's right. People Great. are always shocked when they come here. It just looks like a normal big warehouse facility and then they walk in and then it's when the shock factor. But we have people that fly in from all around the world. Great. Just to see the cars being broken up or the parts. They just, uh, they like to come see it. We've, uh, I've gone to Monterey Auto Week, and Bruce has as well many times. And um, we've been to a memorabilia show a couple of times at the Hyatt that's down there. And there's a couple of people who have Ferrari memorabilia. And I remember the story, I've mentioned it a few times on our podcast, where they found some original Ferrari manuals that turned out to be fake. And uh, uh, there was a, two business partners, and one guy thought they were getting a great deal, and the other guy looked at it, and it was bound in a way that wouldn't have been bound in the 1950s. Yeah, and reprint. So, sure. yeah, so I wondered if in your world, uh, being Ferrari and being rare, do you come across things that are fake? Uh, yeah, um, we do. I mean, some of these people that are collectors and the cars – go to concourse events and they want original parts. There's not too many uh, fake part manufacturers because you'd have to tool up and spend a lot of money and make a lot of this stuff when you know most people are going to buy it because they want original. Yes. They want OEM. Uh, So with that being in the memorabilia space, we don't do a lot of that, Mm -hmm. although we did do a lot of it in that big buy originally, like original Ferrari leather racing helmets. I remember we had some of those like, that look like pilot caps sure. uh, to jumpsuits in the service shop. A lot of literature, but I sold $150,000 of that literature off to a company called FerrariLiterature.com because they specialize in marketing that stuff. But, yeah, you do got to be careful, obviously, right? Uh, sure. Someone just bought a fake Pokemon card out there for $3.5 million. I heard, <laughs> I heard about that. Ago. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, yeah. Speaking of knockoffs, we'll stay in that space for a second. I, I saw, I was looking on your website for... I'm not sure what year they were, uh, but they were they were knockoffs for the wheels, and they were like seven yeah. seven hundred dollars. Um, something like that could be a, a knockoff of a knockoff. Um, how do you know it's an yeah, original part? I, I mean, they'll usually have a stamp inside of it, um, or people can tell by the weight if it's made out of the original some of that original lead. Those original knockoffs are lead, so when you hit them with the lead hammer um, or the the magnesium. Um, it just depends, you know, and I guess some of those off, but Concord judges are pretty good. Sure. But anyway, you don't sell any knockoffs, up. right? No, no. There's I mean, no knockoff parts. For us for <laughs> right. That. Yeah. It's just not a, not our space. I do have a lot of cars I regret breaking. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> I got a handful of cars that are worth a lot more money now. See, they're always worth more in parts than they are as a car. Mm-hmm. But then they hit a certain era in time, 10, 12, 15, 20 years later, where they're worth more as a car than they are in parts, if that makes sense. It does. That's sure. a, I've never heard it mentioned, but you're right. I think so, yeah. Uh, Russell, transitioning into the, the great name of uh, For Sure, uh, tell us about your insurance uh, world with, with Ferraris, and how did that come to pass? So that was a, 
like uh, I mentioned, they had fun. So yes. I used to watch a lot of shows like American Greed after that because I got burned for millions and millions in cash after tax. So I was fascinated with uh, the criminal mind, and I would watch these shows. And this one guy on American Greed had an insurance scheme he was doing that was actually brilliant, but he was a schemer. In other words, he could have just did it the right way and become super successful and helped a lot of people, but just went down the wrong path. And I was laying in bed one night just enthralled with the insurance play and realizing I buy all my cars from insurance. So I have to buy these wrecked cars somewhere and I have to buy them from an insurance company. Usually they put those in an insurance pool, which is either Copart or IAA. Those are both billion dollar publicly traded companies and I have to bid. So when I'm bidding, I'm bidding against my own clients. So sometimes I'll bid up to a hundred grand on a wrecked 458 that I'm going to part out and then I'll give up at a hundred grand. I'm like, that's too much money now. Car goes for 105 and then my phone will ring will answer for parts and someone will say, hey, do you have a front clip, which is a front end of a, a, for a 458? And then I, I started figuring it out. I'm like, was that the white one that was just on Copart? Because it was ironic. They would call right after the auction. Okay. Yes. They're like, yes. yeah, how'd you know? And I'm like, well, because I was bidding against you. And they're like, oh, you're kidding. And I'm like, man, how do I get these cars before they ever go to auction? Well, I started the insurance company by giving and became an agency in-house in a brokerage where we have appointments with Haggerty, Heacock, Grundy, Travelers, you name it, and started giving all my clients their insurance at cost without the broker commission to save them money. But I have their insurance. So the reason was whenever someone gets in an accident with their Ferrari or their Lamborghini, who's the first person they're going to call? They're not going to call their parts guy. They're going to call their insurance company. So my phone started ringing with the accidents of those cars. So I was able to be involved in the deal from the beginning, whether it was parts to rebuild and fix the car or to have them work in negotiation with the insurance company to write it off and then I could get the car before it goes to auction. So that's why I started the insurance company and I started getting all these cars prior to auction, which is really where the deal is for us and the, the better savings because we're not, you know, being bidded up and competing with our own customers. Mm-hmm. And then that led me to the warranty world, which I started a warranty company for Ferrari, Maserati, Lamborghini, Bentley. All the high-line to hypercar were filed in all 50 states by a billion-dollar publicly traded company. So dealers that sell high-end luxuries and exotics sell our warranty. Uh, you know, a two-year, a three-year, um, 5,000 miles, 10,000 miles. Uh, there's a cost for that, but they're covered. That play became my parts company. So most warranty companies, in my mind, run a Ponzi. As long as there's more money coming in than claims going out, their model works. So I said, well, I'm one of the largest parts company in the world in the exotic space. What if I had a warranty company to back up those claims? And then the, that publicly traded company that I cold called uh, listened to me after about six months of being hung up on and calling back and meeting other people. And finally, I did a presentation and they laughed and said, it's brilliant. Like, you don't have claims. If you have a claim, you're going to take the warranty money and use it to buy parts from your parts company to fix the claim. So it's really all staying in-house anyway. They go, it's brilliant. So we started the warranty company, and then that took off about two years ago and has done real well for us. Great. My goodness. That, that's, uh, that's pretty sharp. That's that pretty sharp. Sense. Um, <laughs> what, who, uh, what comes to mind to me is that in, in other if you're a regular insurance company, not even talking about Ferraris, just a, a Toyota Corolla, and you're an 18-year-old kid and you go to get insurance, and it's very expensive. You have your first license. You, you don't really know what you're doing yet, uh, and it's expensive. Who, who makes the um, – what age bracket, if it's the same, makes a lousy 
Ferrari insurance client? <laughs> Would it be the same young guy who's got too much money and buys a Ferrari and really it, doesn't know how to drive it? Yeah, I mean, and that depends on the carrier, right? Sure. Even though we're a company and we're reinsured and self-insured with our own warranty company, we're still just a broker for the carriers yes. from the insurance aspect. Yes. Um, and that's a whole other level of underwriting that I'm learning but is outside of my wheelhouse. Yes. And to be your own insurance carrier where you're an actual filed and licensed company, uh, the requirements on a state and federal level are massive for that. You know, like a Lloyd's of London or sure. even the big insurance carriers have a backer, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. So that's that's not in your wheelhouse. I can I can only imagine some some young guy who buys the Ferrari and the first day out he crashes it. You know, we've re- we've read those stories. Uh, or you get in the Bugatti for the first time and whoops, you know. People do it. People do it. Yes. Yeah, Tracy Morgan, Tracy a Bugatti from Manhattan Motor Cars, and I don't know if you remember, that was the first warranty we ever sold. Manhattan Motor Cars sold a first year warranty on that Bugatti because he didn't want to buy the Bugatti and drive off and have it break down. And if, uh, if you go back and Google to look it up, you'll see that he wrecked the car the same day he bought it. Oh, man. So <laughs> I was, on one hand, I was excited because I'm like, wow, we just sold a warranty on a Bugatti. And then I look at it and I go, that was Tracy Morgan in New York. You know, mm. we pulled it up. And then he gets in an accident a few hours later. Uh, yes. It was all over the Internet, the news. And, and then we we're like, oh, no. Uh, and everybody thought it was insurance. I'm like, no, warranty is a mechanical breakdown policy. So that's his own that's insurance coverage. That was a whole different policy. But I guess the highlight of the warranty was it was only a one-year warranty, and his car spent eight months getting repaired. So the chances of paying on a claim for a breakdown were better for us from a actuarial standpoint because the car wasn't being used for eight months. Sure, gotcha. Um, and then that would expire, thank goodness, because you know, those things have 24 fans on them. Yes. Uh, the Bugattis. Yes, it was, uh, very expensive to maintain. Yeah, I guess so. What is your next, uh, your latest endeavor? You've got something else you were telling us about uh, earlier when we talked. Well, so what happened was with the Ferrari business and being in dealers all over the U.S. and then in the insurance and warranty business, that became a dealer servicing business. Um, like insurance agencies, there's dealer ones in the dealer world that bring in warranties, gap, ancillary products, paint and tire. So being in dealerships, I found a use case for a product that we started with a billion-dollar publicly traded company, um, and it's called Recover, R-E-C-O-V-R, which is a wireless locator that has a battery in it that will last 7 to 10 years without being charged, although we guarantee 5 years. Uh, It's the only device in the world of its kind because it's like a GPS tracker except for it's not wired into the car. It's standalone and hidden, so thieves can't find it, and it's on an app for the consumer. It's got locking features, so you can lock it with your app, and if the device moves even a few inches, you'll get an immediate alert. But it's got GPS assist in it besides GPS, and the device also has Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. On top of that, it's got AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon in it through TruePhone with 38 roaming carriers. So the device will basically work anywhere. It's like a phone that doesn't need recharged that checks in throughout the day all the time. So locations are accurate. And if it goes to Mexico, it will switch to Telcel in Rome. If it goes to the UK, it'll go to Vodafone. You get the point. It's actually a device that's really locatable um, versus the old school low jacks that are wired in or GPS only. 
if you Google that, um, the Lojack, and it was a great product for the time. It just is kind of archaic, you know. The first video on YouTube is how to find Lojack and remove it. Usually they're in the OBD, or they depend on the car's battery. They're not autonomous, you know, standalone. So ours is completely autonomous and standalone. Um, doesn't require any anything other than its own it's its own thing. You're right. Uh, Lojack did have its limitations, and what you're describing is pretty uh, like sci-fi or something. What about it uh, is, and does it work we, in a we, you know a, a '62 uh, Ferrari GT250? Yeah, because it's wireless. You just hide it and go. Right. Uh, we don't sell to the consumers. It's dealer only. Our model was created to give it to dealerships for free inventory and lot management at their dealerships. Uh, at no cost, and then when they sell the car, they sell through the anti-theft to the consumer with a push button of an app in their portal, and the consumer gets the the, the device uh, on their app, and the dealer makes money on it, and then that's when we get paid. Uh, there's no monthly subscription, and that's we've been just blowing up. We I, I, we just signed some very big, uh, several big publicly traded companies. I can't get into yet because we have contracts and NDAs right now but a lot of franchise stores all over the u.s um and we're going into other countries right now we're working uh in africa and mexico so it's kind of exploding i guess if you could say sure if, if you have um, an expensive in a good way if you have an expensive car why not spend uh i don't know what the price is but it, i'm sure it's worth it that you to know we that let the dealers charge what they want some do 499 some go up to 1299 um lexus dealerships that i'm aware of do 1800 uh because it comes with the theft benefit usually if their car stolen not recovered they get five grand plus they get a thousand towards their deductible so it's got a lot of benefits um and it's the app is really good so if you come out of a football game or a baseball game or you you know you go to the mall and you forgot where you parked or an airport and you took off in a hurry and come home you just pull up your app and you can walk to your car that's so great that's been uh, a real big selling feature obviously but the fact that it's wireless and doesn't depend on the car is massive for theft, um, which has gone up a lot since COVID because a lot of the kids that are, I would say, not bad kids in school. When they didn't have school, they were at home bored, and uh, a lot of them were out stealing cars. Um, We've had a rash in Sacramento with um, not Ferraris and high-end cars, but in Sacramento International Airport, they had, a, I don't know, several hundred Volkswagens, um, Hondas, excuse me, with uh, catalytic converters gone in, you know, five seconds, and... Uh, We've had a lot of them in, in the Sacramento area. On well, they were stealing uh, um, uh, Chrysler products with the Hellcat motors. That's right. That's right. Yes, and real big in uh, trailers. Trailers get stolen a lot because um, I just I don't. I mean, they just get stolen a lot. And sure. then I believe their states. If you go there, they there's no VIN. They just scratch off the the trailer number and then they stamp a new one. And uh, we're doing it right now. We just signed a couple trailer manufacturers, very big, big ones. Some of the biggest in the U.S. And they are putting it in an IP67 waterproof case uh, that's got an 80-pound magnet, and the frame rails on trailers. And again, it's autonomous, so it doesn't need anything from the trailer. And they were actually getting their trailer stolen out of their yard at the manufacturing level in the oh Midwest. My. Wow! So uh, they're putting them on at the trailer level and selling the trailers with it and passing it on to the consumer on an app. And a lot of times, it's not the trailer that's the value, right? It's it does have value. But a lot of times people keep very valuable stuff in the trailer. Like sure. Maybe a special motorcycle or car or whatever. So sometimes it's more about the goods that are in it. 
uh, it could be, as yeah, well. sure. I have a fifth wheel trailer at an indoor storage lot, and I think it's pretty safe. But uh, I guess I really don't know, right? <laughs> yeah, but if I had this product, I would. Yeah, because the cool part is the locking feature. You hit lock on your app. If it moves at all, you get an immediate alert. Yeah. Which dealerships like? So we set their business hours in the website on the back end. So in their off hours, every device locks automatically. So if they have a cart two a.m. that's moving off the lot, they get an immediate alert. Not the next day. When you come to work and you say, hey, that car's gone, let's track it. By then, it's usually too late. This is uh, more, um, it's now, if that makes sense. How do you keep a manufacturer from, from copying and, and doing the same thing? Like Ford would just come out with a, um, this feature in it. Well, the problem with the OE is they'll never use something like this. And a lot of the OEM stuff that dealers can't sell because it comes with the car and make money. And dealers like to make money. So our dealers love just having this to sell as an add-on because of that extra revenue. But the other answer to that question is a good question. Uh, the OEs are usually tied into the battery. So like an OnStar or a Ford Pass, if you disconnect the antenna of the battery and the thieves know how to do that, it's really useless. They, you won't find it. It's, it's a, a, they've, the, the thieves are, how do I say smart? Because uh, they're really not smart, but there's some pretty uh, creative thieves. Creative. That's the right terminology. Okay. That find ways around all that. So with this... Once they disable all that OE stuff, which is what they do usually right away, sure. um, they don't realize that there's something hidden in the car somewhere that is um, already alerted authorities. Uh, we've integrated with the NICB, the National Insurance Crime Bureau, so we're already on it from that standpoint. Um, and then there's deeper technology in the device that we use to tell us who the thief is in the car if they have a phone. And I can't get into that right now. But um, we can usually tell who the thief is before the thief knows that they've even, um, you know. Sure. Yeah. What's next on the horizon? Do you think you're 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 on this stuff? You're in the car space here for sure. Um, you know, well, going electric. Business, are, are you going to visual? Scaling fast. So I'm just having fun. I love the Ferrari business. I had to run it every day for 15 years. But I would say the difference for me, this business is more like. Uh, the Ferrari business is fun. It's more showy and flashy, right? The Ferraris and Lamborghinis and all that. Uh, the other business for me personally hits home because I'm having a blast, I guess. Um, really like enjoying the whole process. I used to be a person about destination. Like I want to get here or get there or buy that. And I did all that. And then I was looking for fulfillment. I'm like, okay, I got it now. I was excited for a minute. Now what? So I'm enjoying more of the journey, if that makes sense. The, yeah, sure. The does. process versus uh some location so i don't know but right now i'm just having fun uh helping dealers create income and customers get get value i guess sure hey russell um it's a great since you uh, explained that so well it's a good place for us to uh to break but i i'm just enamored by i don't even know if you sleep we don't know each other but you just seem like you're going 24 7 and good good for you man that's great um we really want to thank uh russell putnam for for being our guest on the Weekly Driver Podcast. We learned a lot, but we also learned that we have you in Sacramento. You know, we're in Sacramento, you're in Sacramento, and we'll hope to see um, uh, the inside of your one of your facilities and, and, and gawk at all the Ferraris and whether they're assembled or disassembled or junkers, whatever it might be. That would be, that would be nice here. to see. They're all here. That, that would be great to see. But thank you so much for being our guest um, on the Weekly Driver Podcast. Russell... Putnam, uh, Russell, why don't you tell us, if you could, please, the different URLs that people can, can go to? 
so recover is uh, just uh, R-E-C-O-V-R should populate number one on any search engine because of the amount of volume we've been uh, doing. Yes. Dot biz, recover dot biz. Yes. Uh, and the insurance warranty company, which is the Highline Exotics, is for sure, F-E-R-R-S-U-R-E. Great name. And per parts, again, short for Ferrari, is F-E-R-R-P-A-R-T-S dot com. Great. So any one of those, keep us busy, um, you know, on a daily basis. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Hey, yeah. Russell, thanks Thank again. You. Appreciate it very much. Come on down. Look forward to meeting you guys. And I'll just show you around. I know you... There's a lot of eye candy. You definitely, definitely enjoy it. Well, uh, we're going to take you up on that. Thanks again. Hey, thank right. you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.